The DBR podcast is sponsored by Bird Campbell, a Duke-centric law firm. Lawyers by vocation, but Duke grads by the grace of God. Founded by former Duke roommates Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, they say, go Duke or go home. Hey, Duke fans, and welcome to issue number 87 of the DBR podcast. I guess it's an issue. It's it's episode number 87 of the DBR podcast. I am Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. And unlike most weeks, I am not joined by two compadres. Only one of my buddies could be here. Sam Klein in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Sam, how you doing? I'm good. I think that the whether it's an episode or an issue is entirely up to you because you are the host. Ah, thank you very much, sir. So Donald go, Wine, who Donald Wine, who is usually with us, couldn't make it because Donald is busy uh, traveling with Team USA, uh, the soccer team, um, as they uh, as they go to Trinidad and Tobago to qualify for the World Cup. Donald, as most of you know, is probably the biggest World uh, USA soccer fan that there is. I, Sam, am I right about that? I mean, certainly one of the most prominent. Yes. Yeah. He he is. Uh, he's featured in commercials and stuff like that. He leads the cheers. He is a huge, huge fan. And uh, so he can't join us this week. But um, because he couldn't join us, we had to get one more voice. We had to get one more person to be on the podcast this week. And that person is Mason Plumley. Yes, folks, you heard me right. Now, I'm not going to pretend like Mason is joining us for the entire podcast. What happened is a couple days ago, I arranged to have a conversation with Mason. We recorded it. Uh, he knew we were recording it. I, it wasn't surreptitious or anything like that. So uh, we were going to kick things off this week with our conversation with Mason Plumley um, out of Denver, like Sam. He's in Denver. And, and here's the interview I had with him just, uh, just a couple days ago. All right, so Mason Plumley, thanks so much for joining us here on the DBR podcast. Um, we're all big fans, uh, and uh, and congratulations, by the way. You just signed a three-year, forty-one million dollar contract with Denver. I have to ask, was that was that nerve-wracking at all? I mean, it happened kind of late in the free agent process. Um, yeah. uh, you know, was it hard to spend all summer sort of waiting for this life-changing money? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. Um... Free agency is a is a very different experience. Um, really, you know, you get drafted as a rookie, and you know what the pay scale is before you come in. But um, the business side of things can get interesting, that's for sure. And it it took a little longer than I thought it would would have initially. But you know, I'm happy with the result and glad to be back in Denver. So um, I, I noticed that you will make more this coming season than Miles makes. Did you let him know that? <laughs> Well, I guess, yeah, I guess for a season, but I think all all told, his contract is bigger than mine. But you know, it's the, like you said, it's life changing money. So at the at the end of the day, we're all very happy here. <laughs> yeah, the NBA has been good to the Plumley family, for sure, for sure. Uh, so, can I ask do 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 you get any good jokes? Does anyone talk about there being three Plumleys in the league? Uh, what what's sort of the yeah. funniest side of that? Well, I mean, the I think before us, the you know the Barry brothers all played in the league. Um, I know now everybody is anticipating the Ball brothers playing in the NBA, but it 
it is interesting, like looking at how many. There are also a ton of a ton of twins in the league. You look at the Morris twins, the Lopez twins. Um, there are a lot of a lot of brothers in the NBA. The Collins. I played with Jason Collins first season. So there's there's a lot of a lot of family spread across the league. <laughs> Was there a moment when you were in the NBA when you kind of you know probably during your rookie season when you went, oh my gosh, I'm not in college anymore. This is a whole different sensibility. Talk to me a little bit about you know, uh, about that moment and, and what it's like, the difference between being at Duke and being in the NBA. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that that moment um, came for me in training camp. My rookie year, I was drafted to the Brooklyn Nets, and we had, the at the time, it was the highest payroll in league history. Um, we had a bunch of Hall of Famers. We had all-stars. Our team was just loaded, and Billy King was our GM, so we actually went down to Duke for training camp. Um, so the guys were, you know, giving me a hard time, had me running a lot of errands around Durham. But um, we had our first practice, and I was so, you know, I had been working out for, you know, the whole summer getting ready for training camp because, you know, I was like, I'm going to have to go in here and, and prove myself, even though I was drafted in the first round. Like, I know I'm starting at the bottom, but I didn't really realize how far the bottom was because <laughs> we, we had our first two practices, and I, I didn't. I, they didn't even even let me sub in one time. So, <laughs> so like we had, I think in my position we had Kevin Garnett, Brooke Lopez, Andre Blatch, Reggie Evans, uh, Andre Karolinko, um, and then Paul Pierce played some four. Joe Johnson played some. So we were just so loaded. I was like, it, you know, I was just so excited to to start my NBA career in the first training camp. And I remember I didn't break a sweat my first two days of practice. <laughs> and I was like, all right, there's there's definitely a pecking order here. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about your goals and what you hope to accomplish. Aside from winning a championship, everyone wants a ring. What what do you want your legacy um, in the NBA to be? Um, you know, my legacy, like like you said, winning is big. I, I felt fortunate to be on a, a state championship team in high school, a national championship team in college. So to be on one in the NBA would be probably the most, um, meaningful, but you know, per, my personal goal is to just be a player that made his teammates better. Somebody that people love, love competing with somebody that you want, um, on your, on your team in a big game, um, in tough times throughout the season. Uh, you know, the NBA season is so long. You definitely figure out a locker room, like who, who you want to be in that locker room when you're going through a, a tough stretch. Cause every team goes through it. Um, some last longer than others, but, you know, I think that really shows who you are in, in those times. And, you know, I want to be one of the guys that the people were, were glad um, was on the team for that, for the good and the bad. Um, I, I want to ask about your family just for a little bit. I mean, obviously all three brothers played, played at Duke and, and, you know, you guys are, are sort of legends around the program. Um, uh, I, I've, I've got a question. Tell me something that Miles and Marshall can do better than you. Is there anything they do better than you? Yeah, yeah, there's there's plenty. Uh, the video games. So, like, when we were, you know, we had that one year where we were all together. Miles was the senior. Um, Marshall was a redshirt freshman. I was a junior. And I used to go over to Miles' dorm, and they'd just be playing video games. And they're, they're so good that, you know, I could never really get in the game. But What, what um, games do they play? What, 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 are, what are they specialists at? So so during that time, um, Call of Duty and Zombies was like the big game, and they're they're pretty good at it. And that game can go on for a long time, so they'd be sitting there for hours at a time. Um, 
but any like any of the role playing games, any of the um I don't know. I, the only video game I'm really good at is NHL or FIFA. So other than that, they they've got my my cards. I, I have to wonder how big is the Plumley family Thanksgiving turkey? I mean, are, are you guys? <laughs> uh, you, you you must consume tremendous amounts of food. How do your parents? How how did your parents possibly afford that? <laughs> it's like a what do they call the on the NFL a traducan? What's that? Where they stick? Yeah, yeah. Inside? Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> um, no, we we have big meals, but you know it's it's hard anymore to get the family together because we, you know, sometimes I, I've had games on Christmas Day. Um, I know some guys play play on Thanksgiving or we're on the road, so uh, we don't get together as much anymore. But when we do, we we definitely eat good. Uh, over the summer, are you able to see each other? Because I mean, obviously during basketball season, you know, everyone's in different cities and the such. Yeah, and I was, you know, we all three this last summer we spent in New York together. Marshall was still in Westchester, and then me and Miles just rented in the city. But um, another fun thing is, you know, K Academy goes on, and we we always meet back at Duke for that, and that's a good way to connect not just with each other but with the other guys too. Uh, which member of the family? Which one of you guys misses Durham and misses Duke the most? Misses Duke the most, I would say. Man, that's tough. You know, I I would say myself, but it, if I had to, b- besides myself, I would say Marshall, because Marshall spent five years there, so he got he got one extra year. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so a couple questions specifically about Duke and your time there. Um, you know, I, you only averaged fourteen minutes a game and three points a game as a freshman. What was was that frustrating and? And were you always confident? Did you always know that you'd develop into an all-ACC kind of player eventually? Um, it, well, the, the first part of the question is definitely frustrating. Um, you know, I had, especially coming in as a recruit, I, I had a lot of expectation, not so much from from outside, but from myself and the coaching staff. And I wanted to perform, and uh, I wanted to have a bigger role my freshman year. There's no doubt about that. But, um, you know, it's, you know, it's happened at other points in my career where there's been, you know, I haven't, you know, played up to the level that I wanted or, or the opportunity wasn't there or whatever. And um, to me, it's just all part of the process of, you know, how I ended up ending my career. So I was happy with how, like you said, how I ended my career. And, um, you know, I've had setbacks in the NBA as well. And it's just all part of part of growing. Um, uh, what's your favorite memory, uh, from Duke, uh, you know, game memory or, or, or practice or something like that? You know, I, I have a lot of good memories. I think, you know, kind of the way everybody wants to end, end their career on a high note winning, but when we lost to Louisville, um, in the elite eight, uh, you know, it was kind of like as disappointing as it was. I remember like, I just felt like I had done everything that I could do. Um, you know, in my time there, and it was kind of, you know, I, I remember I was in tears, I was emotional, but I really felt like I couldn't have given any more. So it was, in, in that sense, it was, it was like a, a, a rewarding moment because, you know, I, I thank the staff and I thank my teammates, but I really felt good about how I left and and what I gave to the program and what they gave to me. But I wouldn't have, you know, other than winning the championship itself. Um, I felt like it was a, a good ending um, to to my career there. 
Yeah, you were you were Duke's leading scorer and leading rebounder in that game, so certainly went out on a high. I want to ask you about another memory from your time. 2012, Austin Rivers takes that shot that beats UNC at the Dean Dome. And if you slow down the ESPN video of that, um, we can see you starting to celebrate as the ball is still in the air. It hasn't even gone in the hoop yet, and you already know that it's going in. Describe that moment and how did you know the shot was good? You know, Austin's one of those players where you just know that he's dreamed of big shots and big moments. So uh, we had had some some tough games that year, and I just felt like we were due for one. It looked good coming off his hand. I'll say I was pretty. I was like, as he as he was letting the clock wind down, I was like. <laughs> He's not driving it, so he's got to be pulling up for a jump shot. And I was like, he better hit it. But when he let it go, it looked good. And um, I just felt like like we were due for, for a big shot. We, had, You know what's crazy? We had a lot of big shots that year. Tyler Thornton hit some big threes in Maui to beat Kansas. Who oh, yeah. yeah. Like, we had – our record was probably better than it should have been in the regular season because we had some guys just make huge plays. And that was one of them by Austin. Yeah, I'll take it. I don't mind that at all. Um, hey, I want to ask you, you know, on a slightly more serious note, um, I'm not sure how much you followed um, the, the story recently uh, about the, the scandal involving Adidas and Louisville and, and you know, uh, high school players getting paid by shoe companies. And uh, it's been a fairly large scandal um, for the NCAA. And it, uh, it's something that a lot of people are talking about. Do you have any thoughts, any feelings about the whole amateur model and the one and done rule and, and all the ways that, that kids move from high school to college to the NBA, you know, do you think the system's broken? Does it work for you? Any thoughts on it? Um, you know, my biggest thought would be, well, first of all, from, from going through the experience, there's more, they may have caught a couple people. There's a lot more than, than what's been caught. Um, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg, but you know, I heard, one person make the argument it's like you know AAU coaches or, or shoe brands or different people are benefiting off of um off of the athlete it's it's not too terribly different than the ncaa um you know they're making an incredible amount of money off of you know the tv contracts the merchandise sales the, the whatever so i there are a lot of people benefiting um from from the product of sport and you know, I think, I think it is. Why well, to me, it's very wrong to to be manipulating where can, kids end up going to school. But you know, once they decide their school, then the NCAA is benefiting from them. So, uh, and and don't give me look. I'm I'm very great, eternally grateful that I had college paid for for four years, that I get a degree. I'm not downplaying that at all. But you know, if you look at it from a fear from a pure business standpoint. Um, I don't know if, if a scholarship is is the exact worth of, of some of these college athletes and what they're what they're driving to their schools. Uh, so um, I, I know you didn't, I, I'm guessing, did you, did you consider being one and done? What, what's your feeling about the one and done rule? Um, well, if, if I averaged more than points, <laughs> I, I maybe would have considered it a little more. Um, you know, I think if if kids are ready, they should let them they should let them go to the NBA. Um, I know they instituted the rule because they're worried about the 
you know, the Indy Ebbies of the world and the, the guys who the, I don't know, um, Jonathan Bender, I don't know, some of the guys who, who weren't great, Tracy McGrady or LeBron James. But the reality is you make the year, uh, the one-year rule and you have kids that are going to school for a year and then they're coming out and they're still not ready. So, you know, whenever whenever you make it, the rule for people are going to come out that are ready or aren't ready. And, and at the end of the day, that's on them. Um, the one, the, the only reason I see the rule being, being good is because sometimes these kids have family pressure or, you know, other people that need them to, they just look at them as the athlete or the kid as a payday and they may force them to go before they're ready. So in that, in that scenario, I think it's good to have the one year rule, but you know, some of these, the, the one thing about the one-year rules, when these kids know they're one and done, they stop going to class in December. They'll do the first semester. They'll play basketball. They'll keep their grades up. But once January comes, like, it doesn't matter if they're going to class or not anyway because they're leaving in, in, in the end of March. So um, I don't. I, I think they should do away with it. I mean, you got some kids going overseas now to avoid college. And I just don't think that it's um, – I don't think that it's needed anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's hard not to see the system and say that it's broken um, and the solutions yeah. are, are, are tough. Hey, last question for you. And thanks so much. You've been great. This has been a ton of fun. Um, we ask this of every former Duke player that we get on the, on the podcast. We've had a few and we've gotten some really good ones. So the bar is high. My question for you is going to be your favorite crazy weird coach k story and i have to tell you we've gotten stories about coach k pulling out a samurai sword we got we've got some uh, crazy stories about him talking about being a little polish boy and just wanting you know them to uh, the team to do something good for this little polish boy so uh, <laughs> blow my socks off see if you can come up with a really good story tell me your favorite coach k story <laughs> i think you would laugh the thing is i think about what i tell you I think he would laugh if I if I shared this story with you. So so you'll have to check with him. But I remember I was meeting with him. Um, I think it was between my my uh, sophomore and junior year. I was thinking about coming coming out and going to the NBA. Um, I was on some draft boards in the first round, and uh, we had a meeting. And it was I remember it was it was super early in the morning, and and like he made me wait in the room for a little bit. Just you know, like he. He he's very um, calculated, so he knows what he's doing. But anyway, we get in there, and he, you know, he kind of wanted to understand like what's my motivation for leaving. He didn't think I was ready to leave, and he's like, "Why are you doing this?" And and he was like, "Is it about the money?" And I was like, "I was like, you know, you know, my parents do well. It's you know, I, my decision's not financially motivated or whatever." And he's like, he was like, "Do you want to make money?" And I was like, "No, it's not about that." And he was like, I wish you wanted to make a lot of money. He's like, <laughs> you wanted to make, he's like, if you wanted to make a lot of money, then you'd come back to school and I'd teach you how to be a good, a good player that can make a lot of money. And it was kind of like, the, you know, I, I kind of tried to, to remove the money from it. And he was like, you know, I wish you wanted to make a lot of money because we could do this together. And I was like, all right, well, it was like one of those things where, you're, you know, you never want to admit that it's, that it's about about the money, but I'm like, hey, these guys, you know, first round pick is making over a million a year, so um, I don't know if that that rivals any of the best stories, but his delivery of it was a little better than mine. 
No, no, no. That's that's not bad at all. And I like that. That's that's a good rationale. And and look, you you came back to school and and by the time you graduated as a senior, I mean, you were a double double machine. Uh, uh you know, one of the best centers that that Duke has had in in many many years and obviously went went on to be a first round draft pick and and now you've got this uh this very big contract, you know, that we talked about a little while ago, life-changing money. So, sounds like coach K knew what he was talking about, huh? Yeah, no, he's he knows he he's been through it with a with a couple of players before, so I took him at his word. And and the other thing, the best thing about me going back to school is I really, um, I felt like I had a good good relationship with him by the time I left, and we still talk even now. So, um, you know, those those last two years that I spent there, um, you know, I really improved as a player, but I really enjoyed working with the staff. Um, you know, my junior and senior year. Well, congrats again on the three-year, $41 million contract. If I need a loan, I'm going to come to you, man. <laughs> All right, for sure. <laughs> Mason Plumley, thanks again so much for joining us here on the DBR podcast, and good luck this year in Denver. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Ash. So I want to say thanks again to Mason. He was awesome. He was great about this. He even said he would probably come back on or help us to get his brothers on the podcast sometime in the future. So uh, as uh, as friends of the podcast go, Mason is way, way up there. I loved, Sam, I loved when he talked about how uh, his moment um, when he came into practice as a rookie and he didn't even get to be like part of the practice that like the nets who had drafted him were loaded with all these all-stars all these great players and they didn't even put him on the floor for his first couple practices and um you know what an eye-opening experience that was and i also really enjoyed hearing about uh the year he was at duke with both his brothers with marshall and miles and they would get together and mason would watch <laughs> marshall and miles play call of duty zombies um, a game my, both my sons love, by the way. Um, uh, I, I, you know, just a, a great human moment to to know what these guys are like and and sort of what they do. What what were, what were your favorite parts of it? I, 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 those two things were great. I, I did like us asking him about uh about Austin Rivers' shot and how Mason knew that it was going in before it even went in. Um, and uh, and I think the only shame is that um is that there might be even better Coach K stories that we're just not going to ever be able to hear. Um, but I, I did like him mentioning, as you said, about the um, about him being with his brothers at Duke. Uh, one of the things that, that sounded really nice was how, uh, you know, they don't get to see each other a lot during the season except when their teams are playing each other, but that they all go back to Durham for K Academy every summer, which looks like just an absolute blast to be at. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to see if the K Academy will comp us a couple uh, podcast visits. Um, I, would, I would kill to do that, uh, I but would, I don't. I would, not, I would not mind, although I actually don't think I would want to participate in the actual basketball. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I'm not good enough. I mean, yeah, I play I basketball, but I'm not good enough to play at the K Academy. I, I do not play basketball, and any of my, any of my friends or, or whoever who are listening, people who know me, uh, know that that would just be a, a, a bad idea. <laughs> Okay, folks, so uh, we do have, well, it's sort of basketball. I guess it's not really basketball news. It's, it's certainly not news about Duke. Uh, it, was almost, weird... it, was, it was almost news, you could say. Yes, yes. Uh, a weird kind of thing happened um, late uh, 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 on, 
during the week uh, on Friday, um, where supposedly the uh, we we got word from a from a local reporter that the sanctions against UNC, um, the report from the uh, NCAA Committee on Infractions, that that it was going to be released, um, and that we were going to finally know after years and years and years of discussion and investigation and different kinds of reports that said different kinds of things, we were finally going to know what the NCAA was going to do about the decades-long cheating scandal um, uh, in UNC athletics that uh, tied to the African-American Studies Department. And, uh, and we thought that it was going to be released on Friday. Um, we got this word on Thursday morning from a local reporter who said that it was going to be released on Friday. And then it didn't happen and didn't get released. Uh, and the reason it didn't get released was because, at least, and now everyone's speculating. I should start by saying, no one knows. <laughs> well, no one knows I, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, the, the story, at least that, that I was following, made it sound pretty clear. And I, I think you're about to share the, the version that I think is, is the likely explanation. Right. So uh, supposedly what happened, at least, you know, what we can sort of piece together and what reporters have pieced together and things like that is that the NCAA, the Committee on Infractions, in, in, they're supposed to give the school sort of 24 hours heads up. Hey, we're going we're gonna to have a report on, on your infractions in 24 hours. Um, and at some point in that 24 hours, they actually give the school the information before it's released to the public. Now, they could give it to the school like 10 or 15 minutes early, but I think they probably give it to them a few hours early. Um, so, uh, so apparently UNC heard, okay, we're, we're, you know, we're 24 hours away from releasing it. And UNC went, wait a second, NCAA, we have a huge, huge event planned on Friday, which is the day the NCAA was going to announce this. Uh, UNC said, UNC was kicking off a major, massive capital campaign. They're raising um, uh, probably billions of dollars. I haven't really looked into it. I'm it was, sure that I, raised... I, think the, I think the target was like four and a half billion dollars, which is, yeah, if, if you're a... Um... If you're a Duke alum or you or for whatever reason you get the Duke fundraising um, notifications, uh, the Duke Forward campaign that just finished uh, wrapped up earlier this year over the course of like five years raised like three point two billion. And that was the biggest capital campaign that the university had ever embarked upon. Right. And 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 when they do these huge capital campaigns, they they line up a lot of major donors in advance. They they go to people and they go, Hey, we're about to do this big thing. We want you to be a part of it. And how you know, they try and they try and get, you know, at least a a, a partially a along the way. It's a whole thing. Yeah. They 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 get there before they even announce it. Um and so Carolina had planned this a whole weekend of major activities involving their biggest donors. Um, the most important people, the people who are going to give, you know, probably billions of dollars to UNC. Um, and uh, and they had this plan for this for this weekend, for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and the, the notion that the university might be. And look, again, I don't think anyone I don't think UNC knows. I don't think anyone outside the Committee on Infractions knows what penalties are coming down. But the notion that you would potentially be hit with huge, huge penalties, you know, that really fly in the face of, of your academic stature and, um, uh, and cripple your athletic programs, uh, perhaps with scholarship reductions, perhaps with national titles taken away, um, perhaps with future bans on future postseason play. Uh, the, the fact that all that was going to happen 
literally at the exact same time that Carolina was announcing a massive fundraising effort. I mean, my God, I, I, I don't blame UNC for saying, hey, NCAA, can we maybe delay things just a little tiny bit? And the NCAA apparently went, yes, we understand. I mean, look, whether, whether the Committee on Infractions issues their report a few days ago or a few days from now, or heck, even a week from now or two weeks from now, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter very much at all. It's still, you know, it's not like there's a UNC team that's playing for a national title tomorrow and the NCAA, NCAA wasn't going to let them play. Um, uh, so, so, and we've, what, five plus years into this investigation. Um, so taking an extra week or two to allow UNC a, uh, a you know, a takeoff for their major fundraising thing, I think was perfectly fair and perfectly allowable. There are some people who are a little upset about it, but um, I, I think it's no big deal. And, and by the way, there happens to be some speculation out there that if the Committee on Infractions was going to barely slap Carolina on the wrist, that Carolina would have wanted that to be out there before they announced this major campaign. That, like Carolina would go, oh, we're not getting hit. We're not getting hurt by the Committee on Infractions. Let's announce that almost as part of our fundraising campaign. I actually think, again, and Sam, tell me if you disagree with me. I don't think Carolina has any idea what the Committee on Infractions is going to say. No, I, I think that um, the in general, you just don't want these two things happening at the same time. And, and I, the way that I followed the story was that um, they, the NCAA kind of notified the appropriate parties about the coming information. And then it took UNC maybe a couple hours to be like, wait a minute, no, 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 we, we can't do that. Or like the, the right people all got on the phone and, and, and changed their minds about the timing of all this release. And, and, and and I think that's fine. Um, You know, UNC is not just you know we 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 are here to talk about sports, but these these schools are all massive institutions that have lots of different things going on, um, and athletics is certainly a, a major part of it for both of our schools. But um, I can understand how they wouldn't want the athletics news to be anywhere near the fundraising news, and I also don't think that they know what's about to happen. I think they may have an idea. They certainly had to appear before the infractions committee and all that kind of jazz. But um, as far as like what the actual sanctions are going to be, um, I, I don't think anyone outside the NCAA knows because if they did, there would be leaks about it, and and we would know because um, that's not that's not an organization I think that that keeps its its dealings very close to the vest. If if they, uh, you know, if the if the story is worth getting out. Um, that being said, uh, I, I think were you were you asking. What do you? What do I think is going to happen when they when the sanctions yeah, so, come out? So I was going to say, uh, I mean, we we've basically we've told everyone everything we know and everything we can speculate about, except for it's time to guess. So Sam, I I would like you now because I, I think that by the time we record another pod, I think our next podcast could very likely be an emergency yeah, podcast right after the. Carolina sanctions are announced, if there are any sanctions. I mean, look, there's still a possibility the Committee on Infractions will say, oh, no, we're not doing anything. <laughs> I think it's highly unlikely, but <laughs> it's yeah. a possibility. So uh, so I think this is our moment, Sam. We are right here. We, we, we got this weird, rare glimpse into the timetable. And I, my bet is it'll be in the next couple of days. We're, we're recording this Sunday afternoon, the 8th of uh, October. I, I won't be surprised if Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week. That that'd be my yeah, head. That, in fact, I, I sort of think it'd be Friday. They were going to do yeah, it Friday yeah. last week. I think they'll do it Friday this week. That and and that's usually how these things go. They want to do the 
the data dumps at the end of the week so that people aren't stewing it about them during the week, which is yeah, fine. Exactly. Um, so, so, so my, yeah. my official prediction, um, yes. I think that the thing has gone on for a long time that there's a lot of really bad evidence. Um, but the worst thing, the, the, the worst, the most damning evidence that came out throughout this whole investigation and, and this whole scandal uh, were the were the transcripts from 2004, and I think that that is going to ultimately bring yeah, is going to force the NCAA to take UNC's 2005 championship banner down. Uh, I don't think I, I think that's going to be the worst of it. Um, there there will probably also be scholarship reductions and playoff bans like going forward that'll last, you know, for two, three years maybe before they come back. Roy Williams is still going to keep his job. Um, you know, all the all the important players at UNC will probably will will probably stick around. Although if they get a long enough postseason ban, I guess they would be given the right to transfer. But I think the worst thing that happens is that they're going to invalidate that 2005 season. And and I don't say that lightly because in all of the in all the years of NCAA infractions and and rules violations. I don't think a football or basketball team has ever had to vacate a national championship. Is that right? That's correct. Although uh, I think Louisville is facing that. Louisville, Louisville's probably so. So yeah, my my opinion on all this is that UNC is going to be the first team to lose a title, and that and that Louisville is going to be the second. Um, but that one won't come for some time. I mean, the Rick Pitino sounds like has. Is, is going to get into a legal fight with the university. And I bet that they won't solve any of the sort of, you know, NCAA issues, which as a standard reminder, all those NCAA issues like the banners and the, and the wins and all that stuff is all secondary to the actual legal matters. And it doesn't sound like UNC actually has any legal issues at this point. We're just talking about the sort of sports fan implications. Um, those things will get, will take a long time to figure out because they won't touch the sports items until the legal matters are settled up, and I don't think that Rick Pitino wants to lose out on his $40 million buyout just yet. Um, so it, it'll be a long time before we hear about Louisville sanctions. So my prediction, UNC is going to lose the 2005 banner, um, but Roy Williams is going to still be there. Uh, you know, I think there was some speculation a couple of years ago that he might consider retiring through all of these troubles, but then he's had this great run the last two years, it seems like. Um, he had, and I think we're, we might be talking about this soon. That uh, they got a commitment recently from a from a five star prospect. Seems like the, you know, sort of the initial reaction to the sanctions has kind of, even though that they haven't come yet, the reaction has kind of blown over because UNC has been successful. They've recruited top. They're starting to recruit top kids again. Um, now, is that going to take a step back when this next round comes out? Wait and see. But. Um, but yeah, that's that. That is what I think is going to happen. What What do you say to that? I, I think you're mostly um, you're mostly correct. I I, I want to get into some more specifics about um, wh exactly what I think the NCA will end up doing. And and, and by the way, I, this is not what I'm hoping. This is not sort of Jason's fantasy. This is what I actually think the NCAA is going to decide to do. And and, and by the way, going back to something you were talking about, I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, uh, the the Louisville national title is already in danger because of the um, because of the 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 stripper, you know, and the prostitute thing. Um, the 2013 Louisville title, I think the NCAA has already said um, that Louisville has to vacate 
that title, but but it's currently under appeal by Louisville. The NCAA, when they handed down the sanctions for the for the uh, for the stripper, um, the prostitute thing, they said that they had to vacate all their wins from like 2010 or 11 to to 2014, um, and that included the uh, the national title yeah, in 2013. But but again, I think Louisville's appealing, so it's not official yet. And and by the way, I think when we get the NCAA sanctions against UNC, UNC will also appeal um, in a in a very very big way. Um, although folks who say they're going to take it to court, I, I'm not so sure about that. All right. So what do I think UN, NCAA is going to do? First of all, I think um, I think it is very very likely that the NCAA is going to ask UNC to demonstrate sports where players should remain eligible versus sports where players are ineligible. I think that the NCAA is going to say, you guys need to look at transcripts and tell us, prove to us what players did not cheat. Because I think the cheating is so pervasive. Um, And I think that's going to extend across a wide, wide swath of sports. I, I suspect that the NCAA is going to say that four, five, six, maybe even as many as eight or nine um, national titles in women's soccer are in danger. And the NCAA is going to ask UNC to look at the transcripts of of the players um, who were on those teams to see whether those players received improper benefits. And I think 2000, you said 2005 for basketball, I think 2005 and 2009. Both of those are going to be in danger. The NCAA is going to, to say to UNC, look at the transcripts of the players who were on those teams and tell us whether they took, whether they had illegal benefits, you know, for signing up for these classes, for taking these classes. And, and I think football is going to get absolutely hammered um, uh, because I think, uh, uh, you know, even though it looks like basketball, you know, took part in this in a big way, I think football took part in it in a really big way. And I think you could see the NCAA saying, hey, we think eight plus seasons, 10 seasons, who knows how long of of UNC football games are all being wiped off the record. Um, Oh, no. What a a sterling period of success that they'll have to forget about. Exactly. Um, And and I say that that with total, uh, with self-realization of of who I am (laughs) and where I went to school. (laughs) Right, right. and I think that there will be penalties going forward, um, but they won't be that terrible. Um, my bet is you'll see like maybe a, a one-year bowl ban and a one-year postseason ban for for basketball, for football, for women. Women's basketball is going to get hit hard, um, and for several other UNC sports. Um, in fact, uh, and this may be my fantasy, I sort of feel like. It would not be crazy for the NCAA to say every single UNC sport is uh, is banned from pro season play for the coming season. Man, because the, because the it appears, and and, and yeah. then and then they would say to UNC, if you think a sport should be eligible, please appeal and explain why. Go ahead. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know if they if they have that kind of reach and and saying something like sure that. Sure, they do. I feel like wait, wait. What do you trigger. mean they don't? Have- Hold on. Why would the the NCAA? The NCAA governs every single one of these sports. Of course, right, they have that but, reach. But, but the 
but saying prove to us that everybody is eligible as opposed to we found these ineligible guys and everybody else remains eligible. I, I, I think there's like a, I think there's a, there's faulty logic going on there um, where they're kind of doing a guilty until proven innocent sort of thing. Um, and that's where UNC would, would get upset to the point. Like, I, I think that, at this point, North Carolina wants this whole story to go away and they will accept a lot of the sanctions kind of lying down because it's just going to be easier when if if the NCAA really? wait, 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 wait. Hold, says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to I want to talk about that. Okay. You really think I think they are going to uh, they're going to be furious. They're going to strenuously appeal that UNC has. I mean, if you look at other programs. It is the the degree to which UNC has fought this stuff is almost unprecedented. Uh, sure, I mean, and, and, and I think that, and I think that at a certain point, the NCAA is just not going to let them do that anymore. Um, but that, if it goes to the point that you're suggesting, where they're asking UNC to prove that athletes like retroactively were eligible, um, I I'm just not sure that that that's kind of like part of committee on infractions ability. Uh, maybe well, it is. Okay, so, and, and, so, and maybe they have that kind of authority. Um, and in that case, it, it's probably, uh, you know, one more, uh, one more straw on the camel's back towards the NCAA sort of blowing up their whole current, uh, you know, eligibility model and, and starting over. Um, so, the so way that, the think, way that a lot of this stuff is, is, is kind of coming to a head over the basketball, uh, uh, the Adidas scandal. So, so maybe I phrased that wrong, and I apologize. Um, yeah. What what I really meant by that was, I think the NCAA will say to UNC, "We need you to look at transcripts," because the Committee on Infractions doesn't want to be looking at all these transcripts. Right. Um, right. They say to UNC, "We need you to look at transcripts, and um, in classes that, you know, in classes where the players." received improper benefits to get into those classes. Because remember, the, the scandal is not that the class itself was unfairly easy, even though everyone knows that, even though um, the, accreditation, uh, uh, the accreditation board has put UNC on accreditation probation because of that, even though that's actually the worst part of the scandal, the NCAA isn't deciding anything about the, the validity of, of the lack of education that took place in these classes. The NCAA has said, the fact that you place these players into these classes outside of sort of the regular registration process, outside of a process where um, uh, where regular students, you know, had easy access to these classes as well, and and that the that that uh, uh, academic tutors and people in the academic advising department were communicating with professors and with Debbie Crowder, who's not a professor, about grades. Those are all improper benefits. So this is an improper benefits thing. This is not a, you know, academic malfeasance thing. But again, I think you, I think the NCAA will say to UNC, you need to look at transcripts and you need to tell us who did not get benefits and who did. And if a player got improper benefits, the team then all every time that player competed in a game that that's a you know that's a forfeited win or that's a forfeited title or whatever i, I think that's and, and i phrased that inarticulately and i apologize but that's i fine. think the ncaa is <laughs> yeah the ncaa is going to ask unc please look at the transcripts and tell us which sports should be eligible and which sports shouldn't yeah and i think that um you know we've we've talked a lot recently about eligibility and all the you know, all the, all these various, uh, 
issues surrounding college sports and college basketball. I think that um, sort of the future state that I envision coming out of all this is uh, the NCAA being more of a review institution for the purposes of academics, because ultimately college sports, like the the players might be able to start getting paid and, and all these things. And the one thing that is, is going to remain and the reason that this UNC scandal has been has been so terrible relative to a lot of other ones is that it's related to academics and that the NCAA will be more focused on the academics or at least will will wield, you know, sanction authority over academics more so than it will on agents and and shoe money and all that stuff. Um, and and that this this might be kind of the first example of, of that future state, although the, whatever those rules might be aren't in place yet. Um, and, and I think we're going to, we're going to look back on this and realize that this scandal was really different. I think from a lot of the other ones that have come up recently, like at Louisville, um, like all the, all the football stuff, uh, at Miami, like, um, you know, lots of other programs that have had issues because this one uniquely so was, was really focused on academics and not on kind of the other sort of normal impermissible benefits. Uh, so I'm going to close off this conversation with one final comment, and I've made this comment. Um, I made this comment on the boards this past week. Are you, are you gonna Are you gonna worry about Cleveland State's penalty? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I do love that joke. A lot of people lo- love to make that joke. Um, no, my, my comment is this: No matter what the penalties are, there will be a tremendous number of Duke fans, of NC State fans, of Wake Forest fans, people who really feel UNC is their rival, and people who have followed this passionately and, and who really know about this, this scandal and, and everything that went on. The people like that, people like me, people like you. I, I was going to say, I was going to say Jason's id. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the people like that are going to be incredibly upset at the penalties because I think there's no way the penalties are going to be um, as severe as we think they should be. Um, and at the same time, I suspect there'll be another group of people who will be very, very upset. I think that no matter what the penalties are, people from UNC will also be upset. So on both sides, my bet is you will see folks on both sides, both the rivals and the school, who will say, wait a second, this was hugely unfair. And the rivals... We will be saying it's unfair because it wasn't harsh enough. Because to be honest, there are a lot of Duke fans out there, people who followed this, who think Carolina should get the death penalty or Carolina should be on five years probation. And just, you know, that this, this is, you know, one of the worst scandals in NCAA history. And the Carolina folks who, who have gotten, uh, you know, a ton of many doses of PR from their um, PR firms who've said they shouldn't be punished at all and nothing bad should happen. And, and um, the NCAA has no business legislating this, and UNC has fixed everything that was wrong. Um, and so those folks are going to be upset. If anything happens, uh, they'll be upset as well. And, and I kind of think that's where things should be. I sort of feel like if the Committee on Infractions can thread that needle and make both sides upset, they probably did their job. Yep. I, am, I, I totally agree with you on that. But... Be prepared when we do our special podcast on it. I will be ranting and raving and probably really upset. I was going to say, are you going to flip the
Hey folks, we want to take a quick time out now and thank Bird Campbell for sponsoring today's edition of the podcast. Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, both members of the class of 1978 from Duke, um, diehard Duke fan, fans and followers. Uh, after years of being lawyers separately, they decided to partner up and get together. They founded uh, the law firm of Bird Campbell, uh, which has offices in Dallas, Orlando, and uh, throughout the Gulf Coast of Florida. Um, they've watched and cheered for Duke football and basketball for thousands of games. Um, uh, we urge you to reach out to them for all your legal needs at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay, so that's it for basketball stuff. Um, even though the NCAA conversation, the NCAA sanctioned conversation wasn't really about basketball, wasn't really about Duke. We're going to get to Duke football. And uh, Sam, I guess we have to talk about the football game that happened against UVA. Uh, I, I will freely admit that I was extremely confident coming into this game. I, I really thought Duke was going to beat Virginia um, I thought it'd be a competitive game. Virginia's not a bad team. They're now four and one, uh, but they beat Duke 28 to uh, 28 to 21 um, in a game that featured uh, the first half was the worst half of offense by both teams um, that I, I I've seen in many, many years. Well, um, did you, that, did you watch the first half of Miami, Florida state? No, I didn't. Was it just as uh, bad? Cause that was, <laughs> that was a, it was a, uh, it, it might have as well. Well, it was like both defenses were the Monstars and, and both offenses were the Looney Tunes. Uh, uh, this was, but, this was, yeah, no, a, this was bad. This was, th th this first half was more, there was more ineptitude and less just like lack of execution. Um, uh, Daniel Jones throwing the ball all over the place and um, receivers not being where they're supposed to be. Um, yeah, all, all of it was a mess. Sorry if you wanted to, round out that thought. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I mean, Duke had a total of 255 yards of offense. 255 yards of offense. I mean, that's there's just, been worse, but that's, but that's, but that's bad. awful. That is really, really bad. Um, and uh, there's no easy way around it. I'm just going to say it. Our passing game is broken. And I mean, broken in a big, big way. Like, uh, so... I I really thought I thought Daniel Jones was terrible, um, but but I, I thought our receivers were even worse. Um, yeah, I, Chris I think Taylor, Chris, Chris Taylor had there were at least two or three long balls that uh, that Chris Taylor should have. Uh, so Daniel Jones, when he threw the ball more than eight yards downfield, was phenomenally inaccurate. I mean, he was either five yards too long or five yards too short on all his deep passes, and we threw the ball deep only, a lot. Only two picks. But there were a couple times that he actually threw the ball on target, um, especially to Chris Taylor. And I mean, the ball just went through Chris Taylor's hands a couple times when he had a step on a defender. I mean, it looked like touchdowns to me, or at least like 30, 40 yard gains. Our, it was awful. Our receivers are terrible. And Daniel yeah, I, Jones was so inaccurate. Oh, God. I, we should have done nothing but rush the ball because, to be honest, Britton Brown and, and uh, Sean Wilson did a pretty good job. They, they averaged like four and a half, almost five yards a carry between the two of them. Why didn't we yeah, just I, run the ball the whole damn game? Oh, I don't think uh, I, I don't think there's an easy solution to it because um, they they averaged 
five yards per rush ish, you know, four to five, um, not being the focus of the offense. If that had changed, I, I don't want to know what, you know, that that gets worse if they get more carries probably. Um, and, and if the, if the defense is more focused on them, cause Jones yeah, threw like 40 sometimes, um, 42, 14 for 42, 42. And it was bad. It, it, it was bad for him. And, and like you said, it was bad for the receivers. Um, and, and doesn't seem like any of them are in sync. I think that, um, the Duke fans got, got used to just having a good passing game for so many years with Cutcliffe. And, and it's a little confusing now as to why it's broken down so much. Um, on the other side, I mean, you know, so on, on offense, it was bad, um, just basically the entire game. And, and then it seemed like late in the game, Jones couldn't get protection and, and the receivers couldn't get open um, to, to make all the plays they needed to catch up at the end. Um, but on the other side of the ball, I mean, the defense continues to be very impressive. And, and if, oh, you yeah. take a, if you want to take a, two, the two bright spots out of this game, one was generally the defense, but, but specifically um, getting the pressure up front. Uh, their UVA's quarterback, Kurt Benkert, really never got into a great rhythm. I mean, he, he played better than Jones did, but he still didn't have a great game. Not a high bar. Um, through, Not a high bar. <laughs> through two through two picks. One was a pick six by Jeremy McDuffie. Um, only only 182 yards through the air. Uh, and Joe Giles Harris had just a monster day. He sacked Benkert once. Uh, had 15 total tackles. It, it was it was generally good from the defense. And then the other bright spot was that uh, he didn't score a touchdown on the play, but Sean Wilson's kick return in the fourth quarter to set up a Duke rushing touchdown was was really nice. And it was. Uh, it was nice to see that aspect of the game come back for the Blue Devils because in years past, I think that they have not relied on the kick returns and the punt returns, but certainly the team has been good in recent years on those return plays. And we hadn't seen much of that this year from Wilson or from TJ Ramming and uh, Wilson, you know, coming up with that, with that big 70 something yard uh, kick return was, was a really welcome sign for, for this, uh, for the special teams unit. I, I agree. So I want to mention a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm glad you you cited the defense. I thought the defense was excellent. They got a little gassed late in the game. Um, I, I don't because the them. offense couldn't stay on the field. The offense, yeah, the offense was it was three and out almost every single time. Um, Duke, by the way, you know, stat of the game. Duke's offense didn't convert a single third down in the second half. O for whatever it was in the second half, which is. Just terrible, but the the defense is great. I I I think we've got we've got this is one of the best defenses I've seen from a Duke team, and I've been watching Duke football for you know thirty plus years. Um, in fact, I mean it's entirely possible this is the best defense Duke has had uh, since I've been watching Duke play football. I mean they are they're really good. They um they they tackle together. Uh, they do a fabulous job of getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, I think that we're solid all the way through the secondary, uh, you know, all the way up front. Um, uh, our defense is good enough for us to be a top 15, maybe even a top 10 team. Our offense is just, our offense is just not there at all. And by the way, you mentioned returns. Did you see how many, TJ Ramming, someone explained to that guy that when the ball gets punted and you're returning a punt, don't let it bounce unless it's bouncing inside the 10. I mean, there were like twice in the first half, he had balls that he let bounce at like the 30 or something like that. And they rolled an extra 10 or 15 yards. Just go fair catch. Just go get it. Um, yeah. God. It, it, 
that that aspect of it is frustrating and and I'm surprised they haven't fixed it because it is one of those things that is easier to fix than a broken passing game where you just need reps and and time with all the players that that admittedly the coaches don't really have but but with the return game you would think that that stuff would be easier to impart i don't know um yeah. I, so, I, I think that go ahead i i was gonna say i mean i i, I almost i'm almost laughing now i mean we actually discussed the notion of daniel jones turning pro early i mean daniel jones the past Doesn't couple of like weeks it, has man. been the he's been the worst quarterback in the acc um, yeah, you know, and and I, I want to recognize not all of it is on him. We've talked about the receivers. I think the receivers have been just terrible. But and I think, and I think the O line hasn't. The O line isn't quite as as experienced and is probably still getting a little bit of their footing. Um, there there are definitely times when Jones gets either moved out of the pocket or sacked, uh, you know, faster than than he's even anticipating. Although some of that is on him to just have more awareness of, especially on his blind side. Of of those defenders getting around RO line and, and getting to him, yeah. So uh, so a couple things I'm looking forward to um, that I I would love to see Duke I would love to see start to happen for Duke um, right away next week against Florida State. Um, first one is I I, I think Britton Brown and Dan, and uh, Sean Wilson need to carry the ball more than 17 times combined. Um, Britton Brown, who I highlighted very very early on this season. Um, uh, you know, looked really good on a few of his runs yesterday. He only got 10 carries, but he gained 54 yards. The guy's ripping off five plus yards a carry. Get him the ball more than 10 times, please. Um, and Sean Wilson only had seven carries. I mean, I, I don't get that. I mean, the guy is a senior workhorse for us. The, that two-headed running back monster of Britton Brown and Sean Wilson needs to get more than 17 carries. And I'll tell you the other one. Uh, Sam, you remember I highlighted this guy on the podcast a week ago. I said Scotty Bracy. I wanted to see more of Scotty Bracy. Um, he is a redshirt freshman, uh, a great, amazing athlete who's playing wide receiver for Duke. Now he's not a very experienced wide receiver. Um, he did not play wide receiver for his high school team, um, so he's still learning a lot. Um, although I, I expect he spent all of last year learning how to play wide receiver. Um, but I think that guy could really be something special. And I'd love to see Duke. They got him in the ball twice um, uh, uh, when Duke was uh, making a late drive, a late attempt to tie up the football game. And, and then Daniel Jones took a couple sacks and made a couple bad throws and the game was over. But, um, but they really, they started to work Scotty Bracey in there uh, late in the game. And I want to see more of him because um, uh, Jonathan Lloyd and TJ Roming and, and Taylor are, are, they're nice guys. They're working hard, but they're not getting it done. And I, I, I really, I'd love to see us find someone else who can get it done. And I, I yeah, hope, I, I, I think Scotty Bracey could be that. I think that the focus on the running game is going to be the more near-term solution if, if the Duke offense is going to catch up to the defense at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, the development of those younger guys is going to be essential probably later in the season or, or in the years you know, going forward. But um, if, if we're talking about what's looking ahead, we got to talk a little bit about Florida State. Um, uh, that's who Duke has next on the schedule. The Blue Devils are now four and two. And um, uh, I, you know, I would have bet a lot of money that Florida State would have a better record than Duke. But Florida State is one in three. Um, they, uh, they, they, their schedule is a little screwy because they missed some games thanks to hurricanes 
earlier this year, and those games are being made up and moved around and other stuff like that. But they've only played four games, even though Duke has already played six. But Duke has Florida State coming up this weekend. Um, Sam, have you uh, looked at the Seminoles a little bit? What, what do we expect from them? Yeah, so the Florida State team that is showing up in Durham this week is probably the worst one that has ever played under Jimbo Fisher. Don't have, you know, don't, don't get, don't take that as a sign that you should be throwing money on the Blue Devils. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, like you mentioned, they, they had to deal with the hurricane. They've had a lot of different uh, annoying circumstances around the program, but most specifically the hurricane throwing the schedule off and their week one loss to Alabama, which was kind of bad in its own in its own right for, you know, just being not the way that you want to start the season by getting, by getting, you know, the runaround by another top team. But uh, in that game, they lost their starting, their returning starting quarterback, DeAndre Francois, um, who, who was, was pretty good for them um, previously. And in his place, they're starting uh, freshman quarterback, James Blackman, who, I, if you've, if a you've true watched freshman. the Seminoles, not a, not true a freshman. freshman, a true right. freshman. And, and he wasn't um, that highly regarded, by the way. He's and, not, and he's not a superstar he, recruit. He was only a three star recruit. He's, he's one of these guys who came out of high school and isn't quite, he's, he's a great example of, of why people redshirt because he's just not ACC football size yet. Uh, he's very skinny and, and, and he's really athletic. Uh, he's made a few big plays for them this year. But overall, you can tell that there's just a lack of experience, and um, you know he doesn't quite have that that awareness that that recent Florida State quarterbacks have had. I mean, you know, Jameis. It wasn't so long ago that Jameis Winston was there and was was wowing everybody around the field. Francois had a had a good season last year. Not you know not anything spectacular, but but Blackman, and this is most I would imagine to him being a freshman, uh, is just really behind the curve on that. And Florida State probably expected more out or they did expect more out of the quarterback position this year. And I think that that has affected the team kind of across the board. Uh, the wide receivers who are athletic can't really get open. They've, they've had to put more weight on, on their dual rushing uh, attack of, of Jock Patrick and, and Cam Akers, uh, the latter of whom is also a freshman. So they have young guys in important positions. And, and I should say that Patrick and Akers have been effective runners. They haven't been, you know, all conference runners. Um, so nothing on the Florida state offense has really clicked yet. And they're only scoring like 18 points a game or so. Um, now granted they have played a, a tougher a tough schedule. schedule. They, Very tough yeah, schedule. They, yeah. they had to play Miami this week who, um, it seems like is, is turning out to be the second best team in the conference and is probably on their way to winning the coastal and getting the opportunity to lose to Clemson in the ACC championship game. But, um, you know, playing a team with that description is not something that should scare Florida State. And and Miami looked more athletic than them and, and more prepared from them this past week. So um, on Although the offensive it side... A, it, it, it took a, you know, a last-second touchdown pass for Miami to win that game. Right. But, I mean, if, if you were watching the game, um, th- there was... Uh, I, I at least had the impression that Miami was kind of dominating... Um, Florida State, like around the field, they they made mistakes, which Miami always seems to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but Miami looked like the better team yesterday. Uh, now that's Florida State on offense. Florida State on defense, still really great. And and I think that the kind of underrated national thing about Florida State the last few years under Jimbo Fisher, where they have been so dominant, um, is not just that the offense is good, but that the defense has been elite every season. They have. Uh, especially the defensive backs just smother receivers, um, smother the passing game. And 
Uh, and so <laughs> going back to talking about how Duke's real weakness has been the passing game this year and Florida State's uh, defense, I think that the, their strongest aspect is in that defensive um, back area where uh, they just they limit receivers, they bottle them up. I I expect that there will be a drastically different game plan against them because we're going to have to lean on the running backs a lot more to make plays. And and I don't think there's a problem with Daniel Jones also being really involved with the with the running game. I think that he's he's proven that he's at least a capable runner. Um, his decision making has been suspect recently, but uh, if you have him as an option and you have the other two guys. Uh, they can put up a fight against Florida State. I, I don't think that Duke is going to win, uh, even though the game is in Wallace Wade Stadium. Um, but uh, but Florida State is is not the vintage Florida State that we have seen the last few years, and uh, so so Duke can keep it close against them. They don't have to do a ton on offense to counter Florida State, especially as well as the Duke defense is playing. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, I don't expect Duke to beat. Uh, to beat Florida State, I do think uh, that that they will be able to keep it close. The one thing that is going to be that the I think the biggest challenge for Duke, even though James Blackman hasn't had the best season, um, they have one big wide receiver, Auden Tate, who's been really fantastic for them. And yeah, uh, yeah, he has four sure. touchdowns on the season already. I'm not sure how Duke how Duke's going to plan to cover him. Um, because it's it's him and then and then a, a handful of other guys who have had who have had you know decent receiving seasons, not outstanding. So between Tate and then the two running backs, those are the guys you really have to watch. Um, and Duke only has one Joe Giles Harris and one Ben Humphreys, um, and and neither of those guys is going to be able to get out wide on uh, on Tate. And I don't think that any of the corners this year for Duke have been. Um, have been particularly excellent on on that corner coverage, especially on the deep ball. We saw that against North Carolina, um, and so maybe they let Tate rip off a couple a couple big plays and and you know try to deal with everything else. Um, but I, I think that if Duke gets uh, if Duke if Duke does not perform well, if they get beat by two touchdowns or something or three touchdowns, I think that'll be on the back of of that uh of that one really big wide receiver and then and then the other problem of course is is um is florida state secondary uh you know daniel jones has to be careful with the ball he he threw a pick six uh against uh, against virginia um he's got to be more careful with the ball against florida state because they are you know a, a very opportunistic defense uh, so I had a bunch of notes, and you said basically you said everything I I had in my in my notes. So uh, so I don't have that much to add. One one little thing I'll add, um, uh, folks should note the uh, kicker for Florida State is Ricky Aguayo, and you don't need to go to Google. I will tell you right now he is in fact the younger brother of former All American Roberto Aguayo, who um, famously went to uh, Tampa Bay was a, I think a third round draft pick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is. And has fun. not been good. <laughs> no, he was cut. He, he is no longer kicking for Tampa Bay, but um, Roberto Aguayo was. Don't draft kickers. Yeah. Roberto Aguayo was uh, as about, about as good a college football kicker as there is. And his uh, younger brother, Ricky is also quite, quite good um, at kicking. Uh, don't be surprised if, you know, if, if Florida state at some point lines up, to take a 50 plus yard field goal and uh, and makes it because Ricky Aguayo is absolutely capable of doing that kind of thing. He's a, he's very very good um 
uh, place kicker, and that obviously gives Florida State an advantage on Duke. I, you know, that's you a mentioned- strange. It's, it's it's a strange thing for a program that's as consistently good as Florida State to have a good kicking game, um, but but Jimbo Fisher seems to have found the secret sauce in the Aguayo family. There you go. I don't know if there are any additional Aguayo children, but my bet is they also kick. Um, but in, in any event, uh, you know, you were saying, you know, oh, you know, if someone, you know, this could happen where Florida State or someone could jump out to a two or three touchdown lead. I, I think this is going to be a low scoring game. Um, it, yeah, pretty, it should be. Yeah, it's pretty clear that both defenses are are the strong points of these two teams. And uh, and, and you also identified um, to me what I think the biggest matchup is going to be, which is going to be Duke's running, rushing attack, Duke's running attack against the Florida State rushing defense. Florida State is very, very good. That only gives up 115 yards on the ground per game, which is which is not a lot. Duke averages more than 200 yards rushing a game. Um, so uh, between the uh, immovable force and the um, what, what's uh, I can't even believe I blew that line. The it, it's the uh, immovable, it's the immovable object, object and the unstoppable force. That's what I meant to say. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I <laughs> muddled them together. Between I'm, here, I'm the, here for your idioms. Thank you so much. Uh, between yeah. the Duke rushing attack and the Florida State rushing defense, one of them is going to have to give. Um, I really hope that it, it'll be the Florida State rushing defense because if Duke can. Um, I'll say right now, if Duke can rip off more than 130, 150 yards on the ground, I think we'll be in good shape in this game. Um, 150, that's my that's my number. If we're less than 150, I think we're going to be in real trouble because um, I just can't imagine that we're going to, you know, get a lot of yards in the air. Uh, you were very correct in pointing out the Florida State defensive backs are way, way better than the Duke receivers. And they've um, and, and that's that's been like their their best positional group the last few years. Yeah, and it continues to be very strong for them. Okay, so it's time for parting shots, uh, and um, uh, I will let you lead it off, Sam. Uh, What you got for me? How you wrapping up the podcast? So I have mentioned baseball a handful of times uh, in recent weeks on the show. I think everybody knows that I'm a big baseball fan, and uh, so I am... I, I am I'm watching all the Duke games. I'm following all the Duke news. Um, but for the month of October, as long as it lasts, I uh, I have to to stress watch all the Washington Nationals games. And they uh, they pulled out a surprise come from behind victory yesterday against the Cubs. Uh, so that was exciting. And uh, and if you're watching the playoffs, um, uh, I don't know. It, 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 baseball playoffs are so much. I feel like they're so much more stressful than than all the other sports because there's like, like when you watch a basketball playoff game, there's a time limit. There's only so much time that they can spend going back and forth. But in baseball, it's like every out you have to be counting and everything. So, um, so pardon me if I'm off my game for the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully it means that the nationals have continued to, to win games in surprising fashion and, and advance. So uh, for my parting shot uh, folks, if you have not seen it yet, you absolutely must see the play-by-play call from the Toledo-Eastern Michigan game. And you may be saying to yourself, good God, Jason, why are you talking about a Toledo-Eastern Michigan game? Uh, I would like to submit that uh, Jay Feely, former NFL kicker, you should recognize his name, Jay Feely. Jay Feely's uh, call of the Toledo-Eastern Michigan game is the worst announcing I have ever seen or heard in my life the 
the Eastern Michigan kicker lines up to take a field goal. Now, Jay Feely is a former NFL kicker. He kicked in the NFL for decades, I think. He should know whether or not a field goal is good. I, I have never in my life attempted to kick a football through the uprights. And I can tell just by watching whether or not a field goal is good. So Pauli Fricano, the, uh, the kicker, kicks this ball and it misses. Now, it doesn't miss by a little bit. It misses by a lot. Literally, the moment it leaves his foot, you can tell this thing is going to peel off to the left. Like <laughs> it misses by it, it, 10 yards it was, at least. I was going to say, right? It's almost, almost the width of the uprights, uh, away from yeah, the uprights. Like, yeah, or if the, they take like the uprights, the I, I suppose the length of the crossbar. If they had taken the, the field goal thing and moved it 10 yards, 10 yards, maybe, maybe Pauli Fricano's kick would have been good. But Jay Feely, who is doing the color commentary, says, and it's off the crossbar, barely had enough, and he knocked it through. Great kick. And the score is now three to three. It, it, he misses this kick so badly. Jay Feely misses the call almost as badly as the guy misses the kick. It, it's so, incredible. So and and the, the, poor, the poor guy, Jay Feely's doing color, the poor play-by-play announcer doesn't say anything. I think the guy was so stunned he didn't know what to say. It's it's hysterical. It, 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 I, I've actually seen this happen before, not this egregiously. Um, but the the lesson here is that when you are a football commentator and you are, you know, the, their seats are usually like on the fifty yard line up up high, so they have a nice view of the game, like kind of the same way that we do um, when we're watching sort of the normal view on TV. Um, it's a it's not a good view for seeing, uh, for seeing the angle on the kicks. And, exactly. Um, watch the, your the, monitor. The lesson, watch the monitor. The, the lesson, right, the lesson for the, for the commentators is watch the monitor on the kicks because nothing, inter- nothing otherwise is interesting happening on the kick other than whether it's going in. And if it gets blocked, you'll, you'll know it got blocked. Um, <laughs> uh, so just watch the monitor and, and, and call it that way. Um, I mean, it, like football is, it is, is, I think tough to watch in some ways because you have to have cameras all over the place to get the right view of, you know, balls getting caught and, and guys stepping on the, on, on the sidelines or getting into the end zone, all that stuff. But this was like the most egregious version of it I've ever seen. Oh, it's bad. We'll, we'll post something in the, in the thread. Yeah, definitely the post a link to the, uh, I will post a link because it's, it was, it's too I, funny. It, watching it was intoxicating. I, I think I watched the clip like four or five times. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, what? How how did he how did he see it that way? But you're right. Was, I'm sure it was his. But he had a bad so angle. Bad. Oh, it was so, so bad. Uh, yeah. Hey, and one other quick thing I wanted to mention: uh, I saw an interesting tweet from Jeff Goodman, um, who was uh, he was at Duke um, for media day. I'm sure. So this is about a week old. You know, forgive me. But Jeff Goodman uh, went to the Duke store, and he was looking around to see what jerseys uh, were for sale, and he noted that there were no number 35 jerseys for Marvin Bagley uh, were available for sale. Um, and he said uh, it's because Marvin Bagley committed so late that Duke doesn't have Marvin Bagley. You know, they don't have number 35s available in the Duke Do they, store. Does, does Duke normally have freshman jerseys available at the beginning of the season? I feel like that just wasn't a thing previously, but with the rec- you know relatively recent one-and-done explosion at Duke, maybe that's changed. Uh, yeah, I, sure. I, I, my bet is that like I bet they had 
a, a, a jersey available for, for Jason Tatum last year and Harry Giles, don't you think? Yeah. If you, if you were, uh, let us know if you were at Duke. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about this. If you were at Duke the last couple of years, um, not if they were selling them at the end of the season, because I, I would guess that Nike would get them to them like by spring semester. But um, like in the fall, I'm talking like September, October preseason, were there number zero current jerseys in the store? So uh, actually, uh, the Jeff Goodman tweet noted that, that he was looking at a Grayson Allen and a Trevon Duvall jersey. So right, but, tell, but Duvall's, your, your Duvall's wearing what? Duvall's wearing number five, though, isn't he? Yes, correct. And uh, what mean, you think they have good... that for William Avery? There were other recent players who have worn number five who were good. Um, I, I, I don't know if Jeff Goodman is as clued into like what the current um, like jersey design is. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm wrong on this, but um, like I know that. So I I came to Duke in 2007. Um, Greg Paulus was two years ahead of me. They were still selling old Greg Paulus jerseys after I graduated. Like they were still in the store. Um, so they didn't say Paulus. I know on that them, that stuff. Was con- no, they didn't say Paulus on them. But but also the the Trayvon Duval jerseys don't say Duval on them. So right, exactly. Um, You're not allowed to have names on the jerseys because the NCAA yeah. is silly and stupid and doesn't make Correct. any sense. All all of those things. But all but the reason things. the reason I brought it up is um, they are not there now. I I will go on the record and make a prediction that by the time. Christmas rolls around. There will be plenty of number 35 Duke jerseys available, and I bet there'll be a lot of people who want to buy them. This guy is going to be really, really special. Let us, let us hope that that is the case. Yes. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode number 87 of the DBR podcast. Um, Sam, thanks for joining me. Donald, root Team USA onto victory down there in Trinidad and Tobago. Hey, he did a great job the other day against Panama. Yeah, huge win. Four nothing. Big, big win. Great win. Yeah. Uh, and they took care of business early in that game. Um, uh, I love watching I love watching World Cup qualifying soccer. There's so much tension involved. Uh, so anyway, um, Donald's having fun. Sam and I are minding the store. Folks, we'll be back with you uh, next weekend, about a week from now, um, unless, unless there is cause for an emergency podcast. We, we will be back whenever, whenever we need to be. There you right? go. I think that's, that is the appropriate answer. All right. Uh, thanks a lot, folks. And Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>